Abel, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, the passage we'll be reading from is Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Jumping down to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, he, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at, at, at Azotus, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Noah. Uh, I, I just love Alpha. I love how uh, it is such a phenomenally respectful way to share the message of Jesus. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, some of you live to share the good news. Some of you, your heart rate just went up when I brought up this topic, right? It can be a scary thing to, to speak to others about our faith, and perhaps for good reason. Hopefully the following has, has never happened to you. Um, uh, let's watch a scene I've, I've shown some of you before, but it's a scene from a kind of a silly film, Nacho Libre, uh, where the main character is a Spanish wrestler priest, if you can all imagine, sort of a monk character, and he thinks it's a good idea before the next wrestling match to, to convert his partner, his wrestling partner, to Christianity. So let's watch the scene. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? 
because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... <laughs> now, uh, hopefully that has never happened to you. Hopefully you have never done that to anyone else. <laughs> By the way, we don't baptize like that here at Hillside. Maybe we'll start. Um, but as we've been looking at the, the early church through the book of Acts, one of, the, one of the, the sort of threads that we see throughout the entire book is the message of Jesus continues to spread. I mean, it says that people were daily added to their number. They were growing. There was this expansion of the kingdom of God. And, and you know what's funny is, is the early church didn't really have programs for this. Imagine a day when Nicky Gumbel did not exist. And there was no Billy Graham. There was no, there was no big crusades. There was none of that happening on uh, in those days. But God, we see how in Acts, God opened up opportunities and they found themselves telling others about Jesus, making announcements to the people they met of the good news. And arguably the best sharing of, of, of the good news is that which kind of just flows out of our sort of authentic selves, our real lives, where it isn't pressured or pushy or pretend. And so we're going to talk about this this morning. We're going to look at it through these Acts 8 uh, stories, this passage, how we can be what I want to call good, being good news on the way. Before we dig, dig in, why do we tell others about Jesus. Why do we tell others about Jesus? There, there are some pretty compelling reasons. The foremost is that Jesus commands us to. One scholar suggests that, that 1,514 times is the word go used in the Bible, and 233 times in the New Testament is the word go used. Go, and Jesus tells us to, to go to the lost sheep of Israel, to to go and, and, and invite all you can and, and go and, and make disciples, Jesus said. Jesus urges us to go and share the good news. We also go because Jesus, uh, he urges us to go, but also because people desperately want to know, uh, need to know. As Nikki Gumbel suggests, he says, if we were in the Sahara Desert and discovered an oasis, it'd be extremely selfish of us not to, to share the news of that oasis with other thirsty people. I had a, a, an appointment with someone not too long ago where, where they're kind of just starting out on their journey of faith, and they confessed to me, they said, I have all of these good things going on in my life. I have good parents, and I have a, a, a great job, and I have great friends, and it still doesn't feel like enough. And uh, Tom Brady, you know, famous... Uh, quarterback of the New, New England Patriots. Uh, he's, they call him the GOAT now, you know, greatest of all time. And, and Tom Brady being interviewed a few years ago by, by 60 Minutes, and, and he basically confessed this in the interview. He said, why do I have these Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? A lot of people would say, this is what it is. I, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. 
I mean, a guy who's got everything and goes, it's not quite what I'm looking for. I still haven't found it. I think people are really thirsty for the truth. We also tell uh, others the good news because it's natural to want to share good news. Um, my, uh, my nephew, my, my first ne- niece or nephew on, on our, my side is expecting. And uh, on Thanksgiving weekend this year, they went through elaborate measures to let us know about this baby that was to come. And, and so the, the great excitement, and, and it's just the most natural thing. It bursts forth good news. And as we continue to discover the good news of Jesus, it's the most natural thing in the world to want to share it with others, to share the hope that we found in him. There are good reasons to share the news, this good news, but how do we share it? Well, there's some good guidance here in Acts 8 as to how this works, how we can participate in God's mission to the world. First thing I want to point out to you is the context that we read in the beginning verses. We, we've had the end of Stephen's story. Stephen, who has just been stoned to death, martyred for his faith. And you got this transition, you got the beginning of Saul's story. And, and it oddly begins with this one line that says, and Saul approved of their killing Stephen. And then we kind of go on and read this fairly poignant passage. Listen to this again. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. A lot packed into those those first verses. A a great persecution, it says, broke out against the church. The the picture we get in verse 3 is is Saul kind of leading this, imagine a a Gestapo-like squad going door to door and dragging these what would be brand new followers of Jesus from their homes and putting them in prison. And, and I, I'm related to somebody who, who had mob, a mob come down the street and drag people from their homes. Uh, it's, it's not a pretty image. And I, 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 I can imagine uh, the, the, the response of the people, the other Christians as word spread, these arrests are taking place, Saul is doing this. What happens? They flee. They, 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 they leave to the countryside. They move to other towns. It's, it was the first century refugee movement. I mean, we think refugees are kind of a new thing in our day. No, no, no. It's been happening. Every time violence occurs in the world, um, people often do the natural thing and flee. The surprising thing is that this does not stop the message of the gospel. In fact, Howard Marshall says, he says, the scattering of the Christians led to the most significant step forward in the mission of the church. He'd say, one might suggest that it required persecution to make them fulfill the implicit command in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 being that, those words of Jesus saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I get a, I get a few things from that. I, God can work through anything. He, he can work through really difficult circumstances. In fact, in, in the world today, um, it's, it's remarkable how even as persecution happens in, in places like Iran, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, 
The church is exploding in Iran as Christians. It's, a difficult, it's one of the most difficult places on the planet to be a Christian. Think of China, where, where just early January, bulldozers came in, by the, the, the paramilitary police came in and basically dynamited the largest church in the country. 50,000 believers, part of that church. And, and you kind of go, oh, man, that's going to stop the church there. And I'm going, the devil never learns, does he? You, you turn up the heat, and, and it seems like the church just multiplies and grows. It, it's, it's us here in North America where, where we have fairly comfortable faith that, that we actually struggle with actually growing our faith. I'm not wishing, by the way, persecution on anybody. I think of the Syrian refugee crisis. I think of Muslims that are fleeing their home. Lots of Christians have had to flee Syria as well, by the way. But I think of Muslims who have fled and how how in refugee camps, they've heard of Jesus for the first time. And I had the privilege of attending Bible studies in Lebanon last year where, where these young Muslim background believers were learning about Jesus because of this terrible thing that had happened to them. But God can use anything, it turns out. And we also learn there's this, this resilience to the gospel. Part of what makes the good news so good, part of why we would want to share it is because when times are toughest, that's when God really does show himself most faithful. His love, his, his love for us, his life in us is, a, is an anchor for us that will see us through any difficulty. Anybody experienced his presence in a profound way when you've been in trouble? Anyone? I know it. Uh, Billy Graham, again, uh, what a great saint. Uh, I mean, uh, when I heard, heard the news this week that he was gone, I, I, I kind of thought, it feels like the world should have him in it still. Like, it doesn't feel right that he's gone. He's been present through my whole life. And Billy Graham, famous for, for being a messenger of good news to our world, preached to hundreds of millions uh, in person and then, and then many, many more through televised means. But I like how he said this. He says, I've read the last page of the Bible. <laughs> it's all gonna turn out all right. What encouragement for people going through difficulty or persecution or trouble. Now we get to Philip's story. Uh, like Stephen, he was one of the seven leaders chosen by the apostles to, to bring leadership in, in the church. And we see in verses five to eight, God works powerfully through Philip. It, it's interesting, I, I thought it's amazing that these guys, Philip and Stephen and the others, were kind of raised to, they were like given deacon ministry uh, to serve in the church, to serve the widows and the poor and those, but I mean, it's obvious that these guys were anointed by God for so much more. Signs and wonders and all that stuff is following Philip. And then we get to this really great good news encounter of Philip, and, and it's, we see it in verse 26, and I think there's great lessons in the story as we seek to share Jesus. Beginning, beginning in verse 26, it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, now let's pause here, this is kind of important, um, like are we listening? What would it be like if we saw like Jesus saw? Or, or we heard like Philip heard? Now, maybe most of us will never have an angel speak to us I get an angel speaking to me every single day. It's lovely. It's quite wonderful. And, and actually, angel means messenger from God, and she fulfills that calling very, very well in my life. But do we listen to the Holy Spirit? 
Do we pay attention to the Spirit's voice? Longtime friend of ours who lives in Toronto, her name's Lakshi. And she's got kind of just a, a fairly average life. She's got a job. She's, got, she's married and, and is trying to raise three kids. And, uh, you know, uh, she, she told us about a time where she woke up in the middle of the night and she had this thought, this idea, that she should give a Christian book, this particular Christian book, to her Jewish doctor. And it was kind of right out of left, left field, and she sensed it's from God. But she wakes up the next morning, and she's totally forgotten about this, this thought that she had in the middle of the night until her little kid is feeling sick, and she goes to care for him, and she's thinking, should I go to the doctor? She's like, of course I should go to the doctor. And she goes to the, to the doctor and arrives there, and he's checking out her son. And Lakshi nervously says to him, I know this is going to sound weird, but God must love you a lot. I believe my son is sick today because he wanted you to have this book. <laughs> she gives him the book, and, and, and it's interesting. God opened up a journey with this doctor uh, around faith, a, a, a conversation that I believe has led to him becoming a, a follower of Jesus. Lakshmi was listening to the Spirit. God led her into that account, encounter. Now, if you haven't had much experience hearing the voice of God, we've talked about different ways that it might happen, holy hunches and all those kind of things, but if you haven't, I wanna just encourage you this morning because this is something that you can grow in. It's a lot like how babies learn human language. The more we practice, the more we hear a parent speak to us, the more we know their voice. And at first, it's just kind of like tones, right? We know the tones. We just kind of know that's a bad thing and, and, and that's a happy thing. And, and so we learn our, our behaviors based on negative sounds and, and happy sounds. And, and over time, we begin to discern what those words mean. You know, and, 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 and over a long period of time, we kind of add vocabulary to this. And I think a similar thing happens to the, with, with the Holy Spirit, learning to listen to him. At first, all we discern is not so good, and this is really good. <laughs> so listening, how open are we to direction from the Holy Spirit, to, from, to, to God's leading? And, and, and in terms of sharing our faith, I would say listening is a far better way. Listening to God's leading and, and opening us up into encounters with people. We're, we're joining God in his mission in the world. God cares far more about people who are far from him than you do. And more than anything, he wants to, to bring them into his family. He wants to show them his love. And, and, and it's his primary job to do that. We see that, this missional nature of God all through Scripture. And he invites us into that. It's his job, and we get to kind of partner. It's our joy to partner with him in this. And I, I got to say, this is a great relief to me. It's kind of not on our shoulders. And so we listen to the Spirit. We kind of pay attention, and we look for the signs of God's movement in situations. By the way, Scripture does not call us to make converts. It calls us to make what? Go and make disciples. And a bit of theory here is you can't make disciples in ways that you are not a disciple. Right? You can't make disciples in ways that you're not actually kind of walking it out. And, and so, I just again, encourage you that, that sharing the good news is mostly about being a living witness to what Christ is already doing in you. 
And, and so your main job is actually is to allow Christ to do his work in you. Surrendering our life to Christ, following Christ, all that is, is kind of job one. This is something that is an outflow of that. Well, we learn right away in this passage that the angel of the Lord said, kind of gives very specific directions here. Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. It's interesting, Philip meets an African, and he doesn't have to go to Africa to do it. (laughs) How much more today? I mean, look around, right? We're growing in our cultural diversity here. We have kind of the whole world on our doorstep in our community. But Philip has this encounter on the way. What does on the way look like? Well, it's interesting that they're on this desert road. Uh, scholars tell us that really there would have been two routes that they, you could have taken to get to where they were going. Um, one's quite through a populated area, and the other one's through this desolate, dry, boring, <laughs> uh, uncomfortable route. And yet God asks Philip to go a way that he might not want to go. Not all that interesting, to be honest. And I think it's you know, kind of important for us. Wherever we're journeying with God, it doesn't always have to be interesting. It's just like point A to point B. And it's not dramatic. It sounds dramatic because an angel of the Lord told him, but, but the route he's called to take was not profound. And I, I think it speaks to me about God showing up and, and often reaching people through ordinary, kind of mundane places in life. You hear stories, I was at a conference and, and the speaker was saying how, how she'd travel on, on this plane and, and, and she'd be leading, and by the end of the, the conversation on the plane trip, the person next to her had, had you know, declared their loyalty to Jesus. I mean, that was the, the kind of thing, right? And that, you know, it's remarkable and that does happen occasionally. But for most of us, most of the time, Faith-sharing opportunities aren't going to happen on a mission trip or in church or on an airplane. They're going to happen in everyday, ordinary moments in supermarkets, in school classrooms, in coffee shops, uh, while shoveling driveways and sidewalks. Great opportunity in in the winter to meet your neighbors. I think God gave us snow for that reason alone this week. On the way. Tony Campolo tells a story of a Christian colleague of his who had a PhD in English literature who kind of left that to become a mailman. And uh, Tony was concerned for him and, and a month later kind of went to his apartment to find out how he's doing and maybe even to persuade him to, to come back to academics. And here's how Tony describes the encounter. He says, I couldn't change his mind, so I came back with the old Protestant work ethic. Charlie... If you're going to be a mailman, be the best mailman you can be. And he looked at me with a silly grin, and he said, I'm a lousy mailman. I asked, what do you mean you're a lousy mailman? He said, everybody gets their their mail delivered by by 1 p.m. I'm like 5.30. I don't get home till 5.30 or 6 at night. What takes so long? I wanted to know. He says, I visit. (laughs) That's why it takes so long. He says, you wouldn't believe how many people on my route never got visited until I became the mailman. But now I've got a problem. I can't sleep at night. Why can't you sleep? Who can sleep after drinking 20 cups of coffee? (laughs) Tony Campolo goes on to say, he says, I began to get the image of this mailman on the job. He was no ordinary mailman. 
I could picture him going from door to door and at each home giving more than just the mail. I could see him visiting solitary widows, counseling troubled teenagers, joking with lonely old men. I could see him delivering the mail in a way that was extraordinary for the people on his route. He's the only mailman I know that on his birthday, the the people on his route get together, hire out a gym, and throw a party for him. They love him because he's a mailman who expresses the love of Jesus wherever he goes. In his own subtle way, my friend Charles is changing his world, changing the lives of people, touching them where they are, making a difference in their lives. It may not sound like much, but that man who is delivering mail, like Jesus would deliver mail, is an agent of God who is changing the world. When I read that story, I thought of some of you. We, we got people here at Hillside are doing that in their lives. Kind of just wherever they're kind of going, whoever they're bumping into, I, I, I know some people who, who are incredibly deliberate about this. And, and, and I know, quite honestly, that, that if all of us became Charlie, some of us would probably lose our jobs. Like you would just not be able to stretch out your day like that. And I, I think the, the work ethic and being a good worker is important. So like being faithful to your employer is a, an important thing and part of your witness. But, but I think of, of practicing kindness along the way. I think of, of, of thinking of encouraging things to say to the people around you or the, the cashier at the grocery store or the coffee shop. To, uh, I think of, of practicing minute longer conversations. Just instead of rushing off uh, when, you, when you see your neighbor, just actually lingering, giving, giving the Holy Spirit just a, a little bit more time so that God might open up something like our friend Jordan said, you know, his next door neighbor, he, he found out as he, pa- he felt he was, he was in a rush and he felt he was to, to pause for a moment and listen to his neighbor and he found out his neighbor had cancer. That diagnosis doesn't come out in an instant. I think some of you are called to be Charlie's in your everyday life, just bringing Jesus on the way to the people you meet and encounter. Well, if we read on, it says, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandache, queen of the Ethiopians. This man has got a, a serious job. He's got this, this important job. And it says he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he's in his chariot. I think it's cool that he's got a chariot. He's reading Isaiah. And the Spirit of God told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I love that line. Go and stay near Can I tell you, that line could revolutionize your life. Go and stay near. If the Lord gives us some kind of leading, if the Lord puts us on some kind of desert road, what might be going on and and staying near look like in our lives? A while back, we talked about the orangutan approach to to, uh, resolving conflict. And orangutans are famously solitary creatures that like to be by themselves. And so they avoid conflict by avoiding, basically orangutan style conflict people are, uh, avoid conflict by avoiding people. <laughs> they avoid conflict that way. And, and in terms of sharing the good news, if you avoid people, you will not have many opportunities to share the good news, period. Um, I think one of the most respectful, by the way, and, and effective approaches to sharing our faith is when it happens 
just kind of organically and naturally through our friendships and through relationships. Now, friendship is such a wonderful gift in and of itself. I, I think it actually it is a lost art in our day, especially among men. Uh, studies show that uh, people, uh, and I think the lower mainland of Vancouver is maybe even famous for this, are devoid of, of deep friendships or authentic friendships. I've been blessed to have some great friends and I've had to be far more intentional than I ever thought I would be. Back in high school, friends just kind of came naturally. And as you enter adult life, it's like you get this little cocoon, especially you get married and you got this family, you got responsibilities, you got kids. You gotta be so intentional about relationships. But in the last few years, I've been far more intentional. I've got great friends in the church and I've got some great friends outside the church. Used to be I had no time because I was so busy with church life that I had no time for friends outside the church. And I had a sabbatical seven years ago and I, I only heard really one thing when I came back from my sabbatical. One thing that God kind of imprinted on my brain is that I was to, to be open to friendships outside the church. And, and I didn't even have to try. God opened a bunch of doors and, and now I can say I got a, some really solid, exceptional friends who are not part of this church. They're not part of the family of God. Um, by the way, that's why we're kind of trying to do simple church here as a church, like trying to not get over busy with programs because we believe that, that you ought to be freed up. You ought, you ought to be not so busy with church that you actually have some time to build some friends outside the church to actually fulfill the mission that God calls us to do. Can I tell you one thing that, that is maybe frustrating about this approach to sharing our faith? It's just the waiting. It takes time. Uh, about six years ago, I fell into a friendship with a retired guy who's in his 80s. He's this awesome fellow. I've told somebody about him before. He, he's the guy who at, at the local coffee shop calls me preacher man. And uh, I, I love this dear friend. And uh, we, we've been down to, to one car in recent weeks. We, we uh, had a mishap, and so, so we've been trying to make, make a way. And if I'm at the coffee shop in the morning and he's there, he says, preacher man, do you need a ride today? And so we've been getting, I've been getting rides to church on occasion by my friend, but over the last five or six years, uh, he and I and, and, a, and a bunch of us, we, Angel and I have been into their home about probably a dozen times celebrating birthdays. And the larger group, we've been out to dinner at, at restaurants and pubs having meals about 10 times a year celebrating each other's birthdays. And uh, here's the thing. I've invited my friend to church countless times and countless times, it seemed like that invitation fell on deaf ears. And then a few weeks ago, it's my dear wife, messenger from God girl, who actually invited his wife, and last week they came to Alpha for the first time. And talking to my friend, friend's wife this week, she said on the phone to me, she said, coming to your, the dinner that you put on at your church last week, might be one of the best decisions I've made in my life. That's what she said. And apparently from, from the group, tears running down their faces as, as Nikki Gumbel was sharing about the good news that we can be forgiven of our sins. Tears as they hear this message. But years of what seemed like nothing, and then God opens up that thing. By the way, I don't view my friends as projects. I don't, I don't think of them as, I'm just getting in this friendship because I want to take them here. I just think we are called to go out into the world and on the way, 
We're, we're called to go and stay near. And, and when God calls us to go and stay near with someone, it just means this loving persistence. And if you love these people, you're going to want to share with them the love that you discovered, the hope that you found in Christ. Amen? Well, the, next, the text says that the Ethiopian had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's already converted to Judaism, and there's a, there's a reason he's gone to, to Jerusalem. He's, he's not just wondering, he's already believing. Something is kind of already going on with this guy. In a Jew's eye, he is a Gentile, though. And if we really get into it, he's described as a eunuch. How Philip knew he was a eunuch, we do not know. He might have been a eunuch, a, a person that had actually been castrated, uh, or it might have been just a title. But if he was physically a eunuch, in terms of the, the Jewish faith, he's already kind of eliminated from the possibility of, of full conversion to Judaism. He's, he's unclean. He's mutilated. He doesn't get to go into the, the normal court of worship. He's on the outside, and really, he's on the outside, outside. At the same time, we find out that this guy's educated. He's smart. We, we know this because he's, he's not only reading Isaiah, he's reading Isaiah in what would be a foreign language to him. And we're told he's, he's running the treasury of the queen. I mean, so that we know he's powerful and he's, he's rich. And the point is, this is not a regular encounter. And so when I talk about good news on the way, it's not every day that God is going to lead you to a conversation with an important government official. But there are moments where, where the spirit of God will call you to be near someone who is in an unusual circumstance, making an announcement of good news to someone who is not at all like you. I think of Angel again in, in her relationship. She's an accountant, and she's got several clients who would fit in the fabulously rich category. They just live in a, the sky is different in their world economically. Uh, they do anything they want whenever they want to do it. And yet I, I think of how Angel, as she served them as their accountant, how God over years has given her phenomenal opportunities to speak hope and life into their lives, even though they're very, very different than us. In this text, Philip's sharing of the good news with someone so different from, from, from himself, I think he could have excused himself from it in some way. And, and lest we think that we bring the gospel just to people like us, like, that like the same things, that are from the same cultural background, the same age, the same socioeconomic background, you never know who God will put in your path. And so be open to, to whoever it might be that God leads you to. And I, I'd say this, this required some serious courage on Philip's part to approach a person of, of status like this. He's likely got guards there. We don't know this, but if he's in charge of the queen's treasury, we assume so. But Philip's asking a question. He's, he's interrupting. And, and then we, he, he waits for the invitation of the other. The, the guy says to him, how can I, he said, when Philip says, do you know what you're reading? How can I unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Wait until we're invited to come and sit with. This is important because otherwise, how would you like it if I push my faith on you? Right? We find people who are, are so hard-hearted in our day to the gospel and we, we wonder why. It's not so different than when a telemarketer calls and tries to, to sell you something that you don't want or you're not interested in, and then you feel guilty hanging up on them after, right? Don't you? But this is what we can do is, is make people hard-hearted by being insensitive, hardened with the good news because we push where we don't want to go. Let the, 
Let the Holy Spirit do his work and then wait for the invitation that comes from the other. Wait for the sort of tell me please, right? And, and, it, and it happens. It, it, it really does. In, in regular life, you start hanging out with people. Just, you start going near and, and you'll find that when they come to a place of pain or, or hardship, they, they say, tell me please, you, you, you lost your dad. What? You know, tell me please what, what it was like when, when you got cancer. Do you have any wisdom for me? And it's like a wide open door for you to share the hope that you found in Christ, to share the, the good news. And this is what Philip does. He, he goes up, it says he ran up, he asks his question, do you understand? The eunuch invites him up, and then he realizes the passage that he's, he's reading is from Isaiah. And then the guy asks the question, who's, who's the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? It's a great setup here. And then it says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We begin with where the person is at, with, with their reading of God, and their understanding of God, and their awareness of God communicating to them. They, they might not be sitting there reading the actual scriptures, but they're, they're reading God somehow. God is, is, is engaging them in their life somehow. He's, he's working. And, and so begin with where they're at, and then tell them the good news about Jesus. We don't know how long Philip's conversation with the, the eunuch was, but we know it must have included some discussion about baptism and repentance and, and about surrendering one's life to Jesus because when they saw water, the eunuch asks, is there any reason why I should not get baptized? And Philip says, sure. And he takes him, and I, hopefully a little bit more respectfully than, than Nacho Libre, he takes him and he baptizes him, and then Philip is gone. He's on the way to somewhere else. And it says, and I love this line, the Ethiopian went away rejoicing. Do you know when rejoicing happens? When someone turns their life to faith, we're told in scripture that there is great rejoicing. Heaven throws a party anytime someone says yes to Jesus. It says, uh, what's really, really kind of cool about this, tradition tells us that, that the queen of Ethiopia was converted to Christ through the, the eunuch's testimony and that used her position of influence to, to share Christ with her native country and also the surrounding countries. And we know that, that some of the oldest churches in the world are found in Ethiopia. And the belief is, is that it was through Philip's Philip's interaction with this Ethiopian eunuch that spread the gospel to that part of Africa. It's phenomenal. So being good news on the way for us means being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, just learning to follow him. Somebody described the Christian life as, as being, and, and this life of sharing the good news, as being like jumping on a trampoline and you're propel, propelled by this this force, this unseen force, and you're leaping and you're, you're experiencing life as, it's, as we're meant to be, and it's inviting somebody else to get up on the trampoline with you. It's, it's experiencing that life of Christ and then paying attention to God's leading, looking for the signs, listening for the Spirit, which, which means the pressure's off you. You don't have to force situations. You can actually look for where God is opening up opportunities to speak or to, to love or to bless. 
means joining God in his work that he's already doing. He's already begun a story in someone's life. (laughs) Start with that part of the conversation. Start with where they're at, right? And then going and staying near. Can I urge you, can I challenge you to, to just broaden your friendship pals a little bit? to actually open up, I, I think we need both. I, uh, we, I think we need intensive relationships that are supportive in the church, that are gonna encourage us. We, we have small groups and, and encourage mentoring and prayer partnerships, all that kind of stuff, because you, you need, you're gonna need that, but we're also called to go outside the doors, and I personally don't wanna have God bring about a persecution to make that happen, amen? Like, let's just do it, let's just obey, let's go, right? The early church, they needed to kind of some, you know, need to be pushed. And I would say, let this be a gentle nudge to us that to go and stay near in the people in our lives. And then when the door is opened, let's not be shy in making announcements of good news to them. Uh, I'm gonna invite the music team to come on up and we're gonna close in song, but would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray.